Well, hello there, listeners. It's Susie New here, president of the Australian Society of Anesthetists, and welcome to our podcast. It's called Australian Anesthesia, and it's where we talk all things relevant to anesthesia in Australia. In this episode, I am talking with the lovely Peter Loraway, who is the convener of the National Scientific Congress, otherwise known as the NSC, of the ASA, that is the Australian Society of Anesthetists. The theme for this year's meeting is Collaboration in Challenging Times, and I couldn't think of a more apt theme because it certainly is a challenging time. And definitely in the spirit of collaboration, the full title of this year's meeting is the Conjoint ASA, NSC and Queensland ACE meeting. ACE standing for Anesthesia Continuing Education. Peter and I will be discussing how this conjoint meeting came about as well as some of the significant changes to this year's meeting. One of the things that we talk about is our keynote speakers. One of them in particular, I'm very much looking forward to meeting, hopefully in person. He's been featured on an episode of the ABC's Four Corners and a podcast that I like listening to. I'll put the links to those in the show notes and describe them in a bit more detail at the end of the episode. Excuse me while I come back to you with a slightly husky voice, but I left out some very important information in this introduction, which is that the NSC ACE Conjoint Meeting is going to be held in Brisbane from the 23rd to the 25th of July. If you'd like more information, you can head directly to the website, which is asansc.com.au, which stands for the Australian Society of Anesthetists National Scientific Congress. You can, of course, also go directly to the ASA website, asa.org.au, and follow the links. Okay, let's get into it. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for giving up some time. So, you have been busy convening the NSC, and it's also known as the Conjoint Meeting. So, this year it's the Conjoint ASA, NSC, and Queensland ACE Meeting, and ACE standing for Anesthesia Continuing Education. And ACE is that tripartite arrangement that we have between the college and the New Zealand Society for these shared education meetings, except, which is confusing, when they're in Australia, then they're just joint between the ASA and the college. Yes. But it doesn't mean that New Zealanders are not welcome at our NSC conjoint Queensland ACE meeting either. Not at all. And I would hope that with the bubbles, we can actually get some New Zealand colleagues across. It would be lovely. Oh, that would be lovely, wouldn't it? And especially with the Wellington meeting next year, if any of the Wellington committee are able to come across in particular. Oh, that would be good because the Wellington meeting was the combined scientific congress that the ASA and the New Zealand Society have every few years, wasn't it? That's the one that was postponed from 2020. We moved that forward to 2022. Yes, exactly. So much reshuffling going on. And I take my hat off to the people who have arranged meetings both for last year and for the early part of this year, because with what 2020 threw at us and the majority of things cancelled for this year, I don't think anyone knows what the right answer as to what format these meetings should be in. And really, you're making a best guess decision, I think, as to what you can deliver, what is safe, and also what people want. 
because you acknowledge that there, for a lot of people, the virtual format, they've been waiting for it to happen because they think it's the way we should run all of our education. And then you've got people who are looking forward to getting back to some face-to-face education activities, which is what we've gone with. And I hope the calls that we've made about moving and changing the NSC have been the right ones in terms of going for a face-to-face meeting with a very limited virtual format. Wow. Let's come back to that because there's been some really big changes, hasn't there? So originally it was scheduled for October in Cairns. Yes. So we've moved it to July in Brisbane. So we've changed the date by a few months. We've changed the venue Uh, What was the reasoning behind that? Look, Susie, with these meetings, there's an enormous amount of planning that goes on for years in anticipation. And so the preparation for the 2021 meeting actually began at the start of 2019, really. And we knew that come 2020, that would be our ramp up time for engaging scientific content and nutting out what kind of a program we would then be delivering the year in advance. I think with everything that happened, it became very obvious that for us as a largely Brisbane-based committee, attempting to deliver something remotely in Cairns with all of the cancellations and the threat of, are we going to be able to leave our homes? Are people going to be able to cross borders? It became fairly clear that towards the end of 2020, we weren't going to be as far through the pandemic as what we were all hoping at the start of the year. So we stopped and thought, what can we do with this meeting? And I think the other thing is that In terms of engaging people to become involved in delivering a meeting, it was a really difficult time because I think everybody and I think certainly a lot of the anaesthetic community, and look, you would know this as a Melbourne-based person more so even than myself as a Queensland-based person, I think a lot of people were just trying to get through their working day And they were just trying to get through the year with all of the changes that had been thrown into not only your working life, but your home life. And getting people to commit to something else, it was just probably not great timing for engaging people to participate in any kind of meeting. So with all that in mind, the committee sat down and said, listen, what we plan to do remotely in Cairns, it's looking like we're not going to be able to achieve that. We thought through a few different options. One of them was actually postponing the meeting altogether again. That felt like it wasn't really an option because I think we did have time to put something together and people need education. People need continuing professional development. So we knew we had a window of time to put something together. We thought through whether or not we should convert the NSC to a virtual meeting as well. And there were a couple of things that played into the decision not to do that. Knowing that the ANSCAR ASM was going to be a very large virtual meeting, we did wonder if the Australasian anaesthetic community was big enough to support another completely virtual event a few months later. 
And then the other thing is probably really a personal preference of the committee for face-to-face educational events where we're a committee who appreciate the need for access to virtual, but we're probably a committee who really enjoy more the getting back and seeing colleagues, face-to-face education, the ability to talk to people one-on-one in a group. So our strong preference was to attempt to hold a face-to-face meeting. Then it came down to timing and where. So we decided to move to Brisbane and that was building in a little contingency of should we be faced with local lockdowns, at least the Brisbane committee and perhaps local presenters, local people could still remain involved in a meeting but build in a virtual aspect to connect to the rest of Australasia. And we've gone with that and then came the issue of timing. So we have another smaller but still very important face-to-face meeting that happens annually in Brisbane around the time of the NSC. And, And a lot of our committee are all involved in that meeting as well. So in the interest of not clashing with another local meeting, but being conscious of not clashing with the Ansgrey SM, we looked at timing somewhere in between. And I think this is something that maybe is for another discussion. When you look at the number of meetings that happen, it's impossible to find the perfect time or the perfect weekend to hold a meeting because there is always something clashing. So we thought that perhaps a July timeframe might give us the best midpoint between the other meetings. And with the ACE CME meeting that usually happens on a weekend in July, that was a meeting that unfortunately also got postponed from last year. So we thought, look, what about if we approach them and see if they would be interested in doing a collaboration and we would join the two meetings, run a smaller NSC, but a bigger ACE meeting. And fortunately, the ACE committee and Ed Pilling, the chair, was fantastic in just saying, well, of course we can do a collaboration. So that's how we arrived at the conjoint meeting and the reasons behind the move. That's great that there's been great collaboration and support from the ACE committee as well. Coming back to the virtual component, that seems like the big elephant in the room, doesn't it? We've had so many lockdowns popping up randomly. Just say that weekend a snap lockdown is announced for Brisbane. And I think this just speaks to the shifting sands of life in the midst of a pandemic. We definitely accept that there is a possibility and this is where building in a virtual element to the meeting comes into play. Now, converting something to a virtual meeting is incredibly resource intensive and I didn't fully appreciate what goes on behind the scenes and also the cost involved in creating a completely virtual meeting and turning something into a virtual or even a hybrid meeting. We will definitely be able to deliver something in the event of a lockdown Will it be as comprehensive as a complete virtual meeting? No, I don't think that's achievable, but we are going to be able to deliver a virtual meeting in the event of that. And then the other thing that we hope we've built into the contingency planning is that we do have a lot of local involvement so that in the event of that happening, we can still deliver if we are able 
depending on the scale of the lockdown that is required. Are we asking some of the speakers from interstate to pre-record their content? Just because I'm speaking at the World Congress in September, which is in Prague, so I'm obviously not going to get there. So I'm more comfortable pre-recording. It's almost a bit daunting for me to give a talk face-to-face because I haven't given a talk (laughs) face-to-face for over a year. You know, I did the panel (laughs) at the Ansgar ASM and I thought, all those things like what do I wear, body language, all this stuff that I haven't (laughs) thought about for a year and a half. I can't Uh, edit what I say. You know, I would love pressing that edit button. I don't have that option. Yes, yes. We know that we can stream from the convention centre. Yes. And we've obviously got Vern streaming in from Canada to deliver his talk, which will be displayed at the convention centre. We know we can run the case conferences and the smaller, not hands-on workshops, which are run during the Saturday and Sunday. We know we can deliver them to an audience. And this is why we've marketed as a limited virtual, because we're not delivering the full meeting but we are delivering some content plus the interactive case discussions. It sounds like that means if it went fully virtual, you'd have all the talks, all the case conferences still occurring, and it's only the workshops that we're losing. We've got a lot of the workshops happening on the Friday, and then there are some workshops embedded in the Saturday and Sunday. They're the ACE-coordinated workshops, which are the KIKO and the ASBD. And there may even be the chance to turn ASBD into a virtual workshop, along with some of the other non-emergency response workshops like hypnosis and how to be a welfare advocate. The hands-on, we've definitely said we're not going down the pathway of sending out packs so that people can do them virtually. That's just too much for the scope of the meeting. Great. There'll be some people, and I'm just thinking ahead now, but there are still some people who'll be very reluctant to travel. Absolutely. Yes. There is a limited virtual registration. Now, what I would like to make clear is that As opposed to a meeting that's being delivered completely virtually, a limited virtual registration won't give you access to the full program, but you're exactly right. We do have people who are going to be reluctant to travel, or it may be that they've decided that the virtual format is their preferred style of learning. So for those people, there is an option to register completely virtually right from the outset, But bear in mind, this does not give you access to the full meeting because we're not aiming to deliver a completely virtual meeting. We're aiming to deliver a face-to-face meeting. So that sounds good. That sounds like there'll be quite a fair bit of content. I think there'll be content. There'll be lecture content and it's going to be the quality of that content it's not going to be a schmick, completely virtual meeting. When we've had our meetings, we've got the managed care webinar, we've had various events, various webinars. That's not been our focus with our virtual meetings. It's not been, let's have really high production. It's been about, let's have something. We've got great speakers. So for the managed care one, we've got Omar Korshid, AMA president. We've got chair of the Australian Doctors Federation. We've got some really high level speakers. But it's also about, let's bring people together and have a conversation. And I think this very much is in keeping with the rest of the virtual meetings that we've been doing during COVID. I think the content is good. The content is definitely good. 
Good. I think so. Now, speaking of scientific content, because the scientific program was probably established way back in 2019 for a five-day NSE meeting. The international keynote speakers were locked in. So have we still got the same international keynote speakers? We have one of our two international keynote speakers is still able to participate. The second of our international speakers, unfortunately, has been a little overwhelmed with commitments in the United Kingdom and isn't able to participate with us. But we do have the fabulous Vern Nake from Canada, and he is going to present on something that's certainly very topical in Queensland and I think also Australia-wide with the presentation on voluntary assistance dying laws. And what's something that's been very interesting, Canada have had medically assisted dying, which is what it's referred to in Canada. It's been made a legal right for patients from 2015. So they've had a long involvement with establishing how medical assisted dying and the processes surrounding it work. And it's actually emerged over there that anesthesiologists are key players in the delivery of medical assisted dying. So I think this is something that hasn't been discussed on the Australian landscape when the discussions around voluntary assisted dying have happened. So I'm looking forward to hearing what Vern has to tell us about Canada's experience in this area. So that should be quite interesting. Yeah, definitely. I had a uh, podcast with Sheila Hart, the president of the New Zealand Society of Anaesthetists, and they've also got a similar bill, I think, being introduced through their parliament at the moment. So they're very much watching the landscape. I do remember I related a story to her. This was, I think, very, very early on in my years, I think even maybe pre my anaesthetic training, but I remember hearing about, I think it was somewhere in America where they have the death penalty and it was decided that prisoners had the right to a painless death. And so it was deemed that the people who would best be able to facilitate that were anesthesiologists. Yes, which again, it's not something that we've really had discussed in the uh, Australasian sphere, I don't think. But there's certainly things to be aware that things are happening differently in other parts of the world. And there is a lot of involvement in anesthesiologists in spheres outside what we would consider our routine day jobs. Wow, that'll be very interesting to hear. And I also know you spoke, was it with Professor Edward Holmes? Professor Edward Holmes. Yes. I'm quite excited to think that someone like Professor Holmes is actually planning to come up to Brisbane to give one of our plenary talks. And he's a fascinating gentleman in that he's an evolutionary biologist and virologist. He is a world expert in viral evolution. And so he's looked at the genomic and the epidemiological evidence behind how viruses cross from animal hosts into human hosts. So he was involved and very instrumental in the genomic sequence of the COVID virus, which you could not get any more topical than that at the moment, given how it's disrupted everything that we're talking about today. And I think he's also somebody who can give us an idea of perhaps what's to come when it comes to pandemics and future pandemics even. Might be a bit soon to talk about this given that we're still in the midst of our our current one, but uh, I'm really excited to hear from a world expert in this area and just to give us a different take on COVID. 
Definitely. That sounds great. He sounds fascinating. Is he? There was a recent Four Corners show and there was an Australian scientist who was working with a lab in, I think it was in Beijing, and they had the sequence. They were the first lab to get the sequence for SARS-CoV-2. And they weren't able, according to Four Corners, they weren't encouraged to publish that sequence. But I think there was a professor from Sydney who encouraged them to release that sequence to the rest of the world so that testing, vaccines, etc., could start to be developed. I wonder if it was him. I think that might be something that we can ask him when he uh, comes to visit because I know that he has affiliations with universities in Shanghai. I remember when we chatted a little while ago that you said that there was something very new with the scientific content, something regarding CPD points. Yes, Susie. What we think one of the strengths of this meeting is, is that we're giving people lots of opportunity to participate in quality assurance activities, because I think looking at and reflecting on your own practice and quality assurance activities are so important in maintaining your own standards and national and international standards of anaesthetic work. So we looked at how we could perhaps introduce quality assurance activities into the meeting. And one of the things that we've done is that we've actually converted what we would traditionally call the small group discussions into a series of mini case conferences. And these case conferences, we've set them up such that they're on a variety of topics. So there's something that no matter what you're interested in, I think you can hopefully find a case conference that could suit your practice. They're going to be small groups, so we're going to limit them to the definition that ANSCA has suggested in terms of getting the maximal value out of case conferences, which is limiting them to a total of nine people per session. Everyone is required to bring a case on a topic, and the discussions are going to be centred around presenting the cases, discussing the topics, and then we have local facilitators who are experts in the chosen fields, that's their primary field of practice, but also are people who can help facilitate discussion on best practice guidelines for the cases and the topics that are being discussed. So doing these sessions in a way that really enhances educational value, we thought might be an interesting thing to bring to this meeting. There's also a standalone M&M meeting, which is actually being run by our ACE co-conveners. So they're looking at a big group M&M, perhaps a little more similar to what some of us are used to going to in our big department M&Ms. And then there's also a WebAirs session. The WebAirs are always fabulous contributors to the scientific program. And what the WebAirs session this year is actually looking at, again, hopefully something a little bit different and that they're looking at uh, starting and establishing new departments and they've had recent experience of this locally. So we've got people involved in presenting on that. Wow, that sounds fantastic. So lots of QA content that we're aiming to deliver for this meeting. And I really like that case conferencing idea because that's something we could potentially continue throughout the year. I would hope so. And I think it expands on what, I guess, the ANSCA CPD program aims to set out in doing in that giving people a few different channels for reflecting on practice and having the smaller group case conferences 
might be something that feel more accessible to people who perhaps struggle to link into large M&Ms in their day-to-day working practice, or even for people who are working remotely, you could see that this is also something that you could convert to a virtual forum And that would be something that they could carry on throughout the year, as you say, in their continued practice. Yeah, that sounds great. And I love the idea that everyone has to bring a case. That really increases participation and what you're going to learn and take away from that session. You would hope so. And I think we've all got cases that we can present on numerous things. So I think it is something that everybody should be able to participate in. And get those hard to earn QA points. We're always after those. Absolutely. And I think our facilitators are particularly non-judgmental people. So you don't have to be scared about bringing whatever you like to the forum. It's a small group. It's just discussed amongst yourselves and it should be a very non-threatening environment. Presumably not recorded, not shared with the rest of the world if it does go virtual. It's a a safe space. (laughs) It's a safe space. (laughs) Yes. And at the moment, say if you are thinking of attending virtually, but you'd like to attend, knowing that you can't do the workshops, that's clear. But if you wanted to attend the case conferences, could you register for those? So because of the small group format, the case conferences are meant to be very interactive. We are giving preference. If you want to attend the case conference, because there's only a limited number of spaces, there's only nine spaces per case conference, then priority will be given. Yeah. Yeah. Preference will be given to those who've registered for the face-to-face meeting. Yes. But then if the meeting has to go virtual, then everyone... Everyone will go virtual. So some of the traditional components of the NSC, so the gala night, the family night, are they still going ahead with this truncated conjoint meeting? Okay. So again... In the interests of changing everything, also our social program is slightly different this year. We have truncated the meeting with two days of content and a day pre-meeting of workshops, including some fabulous off-site workshops with art and mindfulness that's being run along with the cadaveric regional anesthesia workshop. So smaller meeting. So we do have a reduction in the social events that are happening. The other really difficult thing about trying to plan this meeting is the uncertainty of numbers. So when you're planning a social event, I guess in years gone by, you know that you have on average a certain number of people coming along to a meeting. This year, we're a little bit flying blind in terms of is there an appetite for people to come to a face-to-face meeting or are still people a little bit shy, worried about traveling, a bit sick and tired of putting up with all the uncertainty of, will you plan to come, but is that going to be cancelled at the last minute? So bearing that in mind, we didn't think it was appropriate to offer a gala dinner that was part of the meeting. So what we've done instead is that we're going to have a gala event, which is actually going to be a cocktail event. And this will be for restricted numbers, 
We've got a really great venue for this event and that's going to be at the Queensland Art Gallery, the Water Mall at the Queensland Art Gallery. They've also given us entry into the current exhibition that will be happening there before the evening starts. So if people do have an interest in art, then they can come along a bit early, have entrance to the exhibition and then we have a a stand-up cocktail function, which is what we have this year instead of a sit-down gala dinner So again, I hope that helps to understand the reasoning for not including it in the actual meeting program, but it does seem a shame to have a face-to-face meeting and not have a social event that goes with it. And we've hopefully delivered that in a way that people who are interested in coming along can purchase a ticket. And also it's a venue that gives us the capacity to do it safely with varying numbers of participants. That sounds fabulous. And I hope there's no lockdowns. I hope I can make it there. That sounds really lovely. I love going to art galleries. I hope so too. And when you see the Water Mall, it's a stunning venue. So I really hope that people can get there. Now, there's also on the Friday, as well as the workshops, there's a day for trainees, isn't there? Yes, there is. And I'm glad that you brought that up. Stuart, you're our trainee committee member. He's put together, I think, actually makes me want to go to the whole day myself because I think there's things on there that aren't just applicable to trainees. But we've got a psychologist coming along for the first session. She's going to talk about performance under pressure. It'll be great for people who are sitting exams, but then it's also great for people who, I mean, when you think about it, I guess that's what we do all day, every day. We perform under pressure. So absolutely perfect for pending new consultants. But then I do wonder whether or not we should have got her to come along exactly. and present to the rest of us as well. Definitely. And then as well as that, we've got an exam preparation session and there's also a session on entering into private practice. So trainees get a lot of exposure to the public sector and not as much exposure to the private sector where we know that a lot of us eventually end up working. Uh, So we thought this might be a good opportunity. We've got quite an experienced private practitioner who's coming along to answer any questions the trainees may have on that. And the other thing that I'd like to bring up about the trainee day, and look, this is one of the things that I am a bit sad that we've not included and we've made a decision not to run with free papers for the general content of the meeting and really with the reduced scope of the meeting along with the so many other things to factor in this year when it comes to planning. We haven't included a research component with the free paper submission to the general meeting, but this is still happening for our trainees and our new fellows. So we're still having a research session for the trainee day and there will still be the awarding of the prizes that the ACE committee were doing for their original plan meeting. So that is still going ahead, which is great. Great. Are there any other highlights from the program or from the meeting that you'd like to make? I have to make mention here of Steve Bruce and Ed Pilling, the scientific convener and the ACE committee chair who have done a lot of the work on the scientific program. And there's a great amount of really topical content that we hope this meeting brings. So 
There's things, as we say, we're talking a little bit about the origins of COVID and where to from now. We've got sessions which are future sessions, which the ACE Committee have got the editor of Anesthesia and Intensive Care coming, John Loadsman. We've got Mr. Sean Lowry, who is talking about the emerging healthcare markets. And then we've also got, as we mentioned before, Fern's session on voluntary assisted dying. We also have Professor Kirsten Weissasek and Dr. Joe Rotherham, who are two of our local director and deputy directors of departments. And we're talking on sustainability and anaesthesia, and we're also talking on medical marijuana. So I think it really is highlights of hot topics that are affecting the anaesthetic world and the anaesthetic community currently. And we've had great buy-in from our SIG groups. So a lot of the special interest groups have got sessions at the meeting, which is great. Fantastic. It sounds like there's been a lot of thought that's been put into the scientific program. It sounds really good. I can't wait to either be there in person or see it virtually and listen to some of those talks. Very, very topical, as you said. When do registrations open? Registrations have opened. Ah, there you go. So registrations have opened. Great. Registrations have opened, so by the time you listen to this, I'm hoping that a lot of you will already have registered. We're limiting people. You can only sign up for one case conference and one emergency response workshop initially. It's exciting to be attempting to deliver a face-to-face meeting. We hope that this is the reality, but we do have some plans in the meeting such that if we're not able to present in the original intended format of the face-to-face, we are still able to deliver a lot of the content that we've been talking talking about to a virtual audience. Which is great. Look, thanks for chatting. Thanks for all your hard work. Thank you so much. Thank you. Same to you. Same to you. See you, Susie. Thank you once again to Peter and the organising committee of both the National Scientific Congress and the Queensland ACE Committee. Incredible amount of hard work that's going on at the moment in very challenging times. So thank you. Thank you once again. As we discussed, Professor Edward Holmes is one of the keynote speakers at this year's NSC, and I'm very much crossing my fingers that we'll both be in Brisbane and I'll get to meet him in person. He has made a significant contribution to the world's response to coronavirus. If you want to hear more about his role during the pandemic, then I can direct you to a documentary produced by the BBC and screened on the ABC here in Australia called 54 Days Series 1. And it includes mention of his role in the early days of the pandemic as the virus spread from China. For those who want a little bit more of a dramatic approach and like listening to podcasts, then there is a great dramatization of his contribution in a podcast called Vaccine Wars. And again, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. If you want to listen to about the first 10 minutes of this episode, it gives a great recollection of conversations that might have occurred in the early days of the pandemic. So as I record this introduction from the lockdown in Melbourne, I am desperately hoping that numbers and cases will improve, not just for the well-being of everybody in Melbourne, but also because I'm hoping to travel to Brisbane to the NSC and hopefully seeing as many of you possible there. Before I sign off, just reminding you that the Conjoint ASA NSC and Queensland ACE meeting 
will be held in Brisbane this year from the 23rd, that's Friday the 23rd, to Sunday the 25th of July. And if you want to look at more information, check out the scientific program, the social program, then you can do that at asansc.com.au or go to the ASA website, asa.org.au, and follow the links. All right. I hope you're keeping well. I know I don't sound that well, but I hope you're keeping well out there. This podcast was produced by the Australian Society of Anesthetists. More podcasts can be found on the ASA website, asa.org.au. Music was La Toile Dance by Maidan, which can be found on the free music archive website. We hope you enjoyed listening. <laughs>